Welcome to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kip Wilkinson. A few years ago, my friend Micah Horvath and I had an idea for a project wherein we would record the stories of people we knew in order to share them with the world. That project grew into what you're about to listen to. This podcast exists to share the stories of everyday people, to discuss the difficult moments in life, which we call valleys, the amazing triumphant times that cause us to feel like we are on mountaintops, and the winding journey in between. We all have a story to tell, and we hope this podcast helps you in telling your own. In this episode, Mike and I sat down to discuss the gospel. The most important point in any testimony is the moment when someone hears the story of Jesus and how it changed their life. But we realized that before we talk further about the components of a testimony, and even how the gospel is shared through our telling our life story, we needed to discuss what the gospel is. So, in this episode, we walked from creation to the cross and discussed the story of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to give a small disclaimer before you begin this episode. As we discussed the gospel, we went into some detail about what happened to Jesus leading up to the crucifixion. At the time of our discussion, we felt it was necessary to talk about the suffering that he endured on our part. That being said, if you're listening with small children, I would encourage you to listen to this episode by yourself in order to determine if that segment is safe for them to listen to. We apologize for that inconvenience. All that being said, this is a very important episode to us. Everything that we believe is reliant upon the gospel. Without it, we have no hope, but with it, we have life. This is the story of the God who loves his children and died to rescue them. So what's new in your life, Kit? So me and my fiance signed a lease on a rental house. Because you get married when? In September. And it is currently? It is April. It's April. It is April. We're not moving in together by any means, just to clarify. She's going to move in early, but we found the perfect place. So she decided we need to go ahead and get it before it's gone. We understand that. So I moved into our apartment when we first got married early um, so that yeah. we could guarantee the spot. Yeah. I, I kind of wish we would have waited, but it worked out. You know, God knows what he's doing. Exactly. And then Paige moved in once we got married, which... I know you guys are doing yeah. pretty much the same thing. Sort of, but yeah. I'll have to move in a month early and she'll move out for that month. And then she'll move back in. It's a, lot it's of a logistical nightmare. But you got it figured out. Oh, yeah. And that's the important thing. Exactly. What's new with you? Uh, we kind of started a podcast. Yeah. That's pretty new. It's been a few months. <laughs> It's actually been almost a year that we've been working on this now, I guess. Yeah. That's that's big. Doing projects around the house with Paige. That's new, but that's ever ongoing. Never ending. Never ending. Because you own a house. We do. <laughs> Thankful for that. We love our house. But maybe not all the work we put into it. And it's not even necessity stuff. It's frivolity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice stuff, don't get me wrong, but right. it's, it's definitely not like we're having to rebuild anything. Right, like the stuff you did with the popcorn ceilings. Yeah, that was yeah. a nightmare. Don't remind me. <laughs> Word of advice, 
if you can hire somebody to do it, hire someone. It's doable. It's a pain. It's messy. Yeah, it is nasty. Nasty work. We still need to stay in your porch, too. Thanks for adding to the list. (laughs) So this week, we're talking about the gospel. Oh, yeah. Which is the whole reason that this podcast exists. If we're... Breaking it down. Mm-hmm. Because without that, none of us would be here. Yep. Specifically, what we're doing today is looking at what the gospel is and kind of breaking it apart into different sections. Yeah, that's fair. Just the basic outline of what the gospel is. The got like the story of the gospel, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And what it means. So simple definition. A simple definition. Yeah, like as generic as you can make it. You're asking the wrong guy. Um, Well, just start with what gospel means. So there's this Hebrew word. That's why I said yes, the wrong guy. Um, It's uh, euangelion, which literally means the good news. But it's... It's an awesome picture because it literally means. Um, it literally. Literally, <laughs> I said literally too much, uh, but it does literally mean that this guy runs into town um, to announce the good news that a new king is in charge, um, a new king is won. So ultimately, what that means for us when we say gospel is that it's the good news that. Jesus came and saved us, and now he's reigning and in charge of our lives. That the Messiah has, in fact, come to Mm -hmm. rule. Exactly. So with that being said, let's start at the beginning of why the gospel is needed. Mm. And by that, I mean why Jesus had to come. We'll start very at the beginning, which would be the fall. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Um, so the fall of man, which I have an excerpt from Genesis chapter three. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So based on that scripture right there, we see that man fell right after being told you can eat anything Except for that one tree. Mm-hmm. Don't even look at it. And w- what did they do? They did it. Isn't that just like us, though? Yeah. Like, how often is it so simple to be told, hey, Kip. What? 
you can go. <laughs> you can go to any movie, just don't go to that one. Mm, what's the movie? <laughs> I'm just here to give you a hard time. You don't want me to get specifics with this one. No. <clears throat> no, it's a good point because ultimately what it came down to is God was in charge. God was God. Yeah. And Adam and Eve were not God. And ultimately what they decided was, well, I want to be God. So they took the decision into their own hands and decided what was best for them. Um, and that's what led to the fall was them deciding pridefully that they had the right to choose what was right and wrong. And that's what happens to all of us too. Like whenever we choose to sin, it's just, it's not a matter of us doing what's right or what's wrong, but it's a matter of us deciding for ourselves what is right and what's wrong. Yeah. And taking the power of God's decision of that into our own hands and trying to be God ourselves. Absolutely. And that that kind of brings me to my second point in it. The need. In Romans 3.23, Scripture says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That started with Adam and Eve, and then Cain and Abel, in every person's sense. Myself included. Myself especially. All of us. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, that's... That big need, though, ultimately is um, the exile of man. So, like, when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, like, that was them entering into the how they could die. Um, They were being separated from the author of life, and when you're separated from the author of life, naturally, you can die, or you will die, rather. And when that happened, that happened for all of humanity. So... Ultimately, it was the separation of man and God, um, which is what we need help with, is God healing that exile, healing that that separation between us and Him. Um, Because as long as we are separated from Him, our death means death. But God makes that, that first promise of a Messiah in Genesis 3, that same part where man falls, um... It's it's called the the I'm gonna I'm gonna mispronounce this the Proto Evangelium uh, or the first gospel proclamation. Um, so it's in verse 15 of Genesis three, um, and he says, "And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your descendants and her descendant, the capital D. He will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel." Um, and so he's he's talking to Lucifer. Yeah, there, he's, right? he's talking to Lucifer, Satan, the snake, right there. Um, and he's ultimately saying someone's going to be descended from the, these first two people, and that person ultimately is going to kill you, put an end to you in sin and death, and you will harm him in the process. Um, so we know now because of that that first gospel proclamation, that first prophecy, if, if you will, being fulfilled in Jesus. So we'll go. We'll, loop back around to that and you'll see how that works in as we go on but that promise is carried all throughout scripture oh, absolutely so i mean constantly every time god's people get into trouble he's he brings in someone who is like a proto jesus so like moses is a proto jesus <coughs> uh, david is etc cetera, etc cetera, who bring israel out of captivity or some kind of struggle or something and then he makes he affirms the promise again is like Someone is coming from the line of David who is going to save the people permanently. 
And that's the Messiah King who eventually arrives. So that promise is passed on from generation to generation until we get to Jesus. Man, that's crazy. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to to hear that and not just be, for me to be blown away by the fact that Scripture constantly points back yeah. to Christ. Yeah. I mean, I love how it's put in 1 Corinthians uh, 15.3, which, by the way, has a cool little um, condensed version of the gospel almost. Um, they say Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures so just the fact that that's repeated in accordance with the scriptures yeah. like everything that Christ did fulfilled a prophecy or something that was spoken of in the scriptures before it's it's powerful it blows my mind yeah Second Corinthians 5.21 for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Mm-hmm. So he's blameless. He's done nothing wrong. He's lived a perfect life. But he takes on all our sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of that, we're not looked at through the lens of sin. We're looked at, Jesus is in no way. So when God looks at his children on judgment day, he sees his son. Right. He doesn't see all the sin, all the crap that we've done in our lives. Mm-hmm. He sees perfection. Yep, exactly. And, and not on our own accord, right. obviously. Exactly. That's the whole point of the life Jesus lived was to replace our life. Yeah. Because it lived a perfect sinless one wherein we could not do that. Not even close. 30 minutes into your day, you've probably already messed up. Maybe five? Maybe one. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to us about the death and crucifixion of Jesus. What took place there? So do you want to start with the Garden of Gethsemane? Or where where do you want to start with that? Wherever you feel it's important to start that part of the story. I think we've we've skipped a lot already. Yeah. I think it's important to start at Palm Sunday. Okay. So he just walked in and these people just like, they knew and they just started laying down leaves and their their coats for him to walk in on like king. Well, and what's, what's really cool is in that time period... Riding in on, on, a donkey. on a donkey meant I'm coming for peace. Yep. So when a king would go to another territory, if he was riding a, a donkey, it was I come in peace. If he was riding a horse, I'm here for battle. Yep. So Christ came in on a donkey. So the, the crowd there calling Hosanna. Mm-hmm. You know what Hosanna means? Peace. No. I don't know what Hosanna means. <laughs> Hosanna is a cry. Save me, please. Oh, wow. See, I didn't know that. That's really cool to know now. Yeah, so anytime that you're singing a song and it says, Hosanna, you're, you're mm-hmm. saying, save me. Like, I, wow. I need this. But what was really cool, but also very, very sad, 
the same people that are saying Hosanna on Palm Sunday or the same people who will be crying out, crucify, crucify. Him. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a lot to think about. Yeah. So these people are, are worshiping and praising the Messiah. Five days later, they're yelling the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. They're praising Barabbas in that moment. So Palm Sunday, that's important to, to note because that's kind of where he's unofficially making the statement, I'm here, mm-hmm. I'm riding a donkey, and it wasn't an accident. Like he went and he had, oh, who was it? Peter? I think it was Peter. He, he sent one of the disciples to go get a donkey for that reason. Yeah, because that was, that was a something that was spoken of in prophecy even before that, I can't remember the reference off the top of my head, but even back in the Old Testament, it said he was going to ride in on a donkey. Absolutely. So from there on, going from Palm Sunday, the next thing I like to think about is the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Or actually, no, probably Passover, Good Friday. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to skip that. No, that's big. That's, that's really important to know what happened there to know what happens next. So let us know what happens at Passover. So, you want to sh- do you know what the tradition is of Passover? Uh, yeah, I was about to say for anyone who doesn't know what Passover is, um, it's where the Israelites um, or you know just Jews now would, would celebrate and remember what happened, the original Passover in Egypt in Exodus, where the people, you know, they cooked the lamb, and then they smeared the blood of the lamb over their doorframe so that the the spirit of death basically would not come in and kill their firstborn. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of the signs that God gave to Pharaoh um, trying to get him to turn, turn the Israelites free. And that was the last one before he's like, all right, here we go. It's getting, it's getting real. Um, so it's just it's just a way that they come in and they they celebrate and remember God freeing them from the Egyptians. Absolutely. And what that looks like basically is a feast. Um, we Christians now we only celebrate it with uh, communion. Mm-hmm. Um, so we take the bread and remember Christ's broken body for us, and then we. We drink the, the wine or the grape juice. Depending on denomination, exactly, yeah. yeah. And remember uh, his blood that was spilt for us. Um, you know, the, the Jews use a lot more things like, I can't think of all the stuff they use. There's a, there's a lot more food involved for them. So at the time, Jesus would have been doing a lot, a lot more. But what's important to note there is that he sat down with his disciples to celebrate Passover. And he broke bread with them. And that's when he first said, this is for you to eat, to remember my body being broken for you. And then they drank wine from his cup together and said, and he said, this is so you can remember my blood that's being spilt for you. I'm paraphrasing those words, right. of course. It's not the correct vernacular, but you know what I'm saying. I do. Um, so he's sitting there with all 12 of his disciples. They're celebrating... Uh, the Passover and remembering what God did by freeing the Israelites from Egypt. Um, and then he tells them, what are you going to betray me? And 
he had a very specific way of of knowing who would. Mm-hmm. And that was whoever dips their bread in the cup. Yeah. And we know today that was Judas. Yep. So after Passover, knowing what's ahead, Christ goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Mm-hmm. When he's in the garden, I can imagine that a lot of what he's saying is pleading. Mm-hmm. As we know in, in Matthew, it says that he cries out to God asking that if there's any way for it to not happen, take it away. But if not, your will be done. And, and that's a paraphrase. Um, if you want to look up the scripture, it's Matthew 26, 39. But praying for hours to the point that he's sweating blood. Mm. Well, that's interesting. Because <clears throat> a lot of people believe, um, and there's some medical research that, that backs this up, I think. I don't, I don't have any references off the top of my head, but um, if you're really stressed out enough, you sweat blood. Um, like your body just, it runs out of sweat basically and it taps into that that part of your system and just starts sweating blood instead. Um, like that's just how stressed out Jesus was. Like he knew what was about to happen. There's a lot of weight there. Yeah. Well, in, in that moment, prepping for the most agony any person could go through. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, science backs up the fact that crucifixion w- was and is the most painful experience, period. And that it was torture until death. And not to mention, Jesus' crucifixion was not normal. No, far from it. Yeah, it was exaggerated. And we can talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. But what happened next, Micah? So while he's praying, he has his disciples there with him to keep watch. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to go down. They fall asleep. I would too. Oh. I like to nap. I like to get as much sleep as I can. <laughs> what happens next is is it just when it all goes downhill or up, uphill. If Depends it, on how you look at it. Yes. Yeah. In the moment, completely downhill, but the result is incredible. And I'll clarify that. So next, Judas is betraying Jesus. Mm -hmm. So he comes with Roman guards. They arrest him. There's a big altercation. Peter cuts someone's ear off. Peter cuts off an ear. Jesus, in this moment, being taken prisoner knowing where he's going, knowing what he's about to go through, still decides to heal the soldier's ear. Yeah. Like, just reattaches it and heals him. So Jesus is arrested. Where do we go from here? Oh, man. I'll be honest, normally this next part, um, in my mind, or when I'm just retelling the gospel to someone, I tend to skip over it. I feel like this happens a lot. But recently... Um, I work in, work in a youth group, um, and we've been walking through the whole Easter story because we're leading up to Easter, and we talked about the trial of Jesus and how 
you know, he was a just man. He didn't do anything wrong. Like, literally, other than heal people on the wrong day or at the wrong time or in front of the wrong people, he did nothing wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. And this, this trial was before Pontius? This was before that. Like, they took him to the Sanhedrin. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, like, the the leaders of Israel at the time, like, the the priests, the Sa- the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all them guys, like, went before them, and they trialed him, and they found him guilty with, like, nothing to back it up. Um, and basically, that's where they, they ask him, do you claim to be the Son of God? Um, or the Son of Man, I think is what they say. Um, and that's where he says, that's who you say I am, or who do you say I am? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that's where they they pluck his beard out, um, which as someone with a beard, not a good feeling. I got really nothing. Awful. Yeah, yeah, that'd be excruciating. Mm-hmm. So they took him before Caiaphas, who was the high priest. Yes, and then they he said there was nothing wrong. You're gonna have to take him somewhere else, or. or um, Take care of him yourself, basically. And then they took him to Pontius Pilate after that. And he couldn't find anything wrong with him. And ultimately, Pontius Pilate put it up to a vote and told the people, I usually free one prisoner this day. You can either take Jesus, who's blameless, um, or you can take Barabbas, who you know to be a murderer and a traitor. And the crowd calls for Barabbas. And then Pontius Pilate washes his hands clean and says, nah, I didn't I didn't have anything to do with it. It's on you ultimately. Right, he literally washed his hands. He literally washed his hands. There was a bowl of water there and he cleaned his hands and he's like, I can't take blame for this. You made this call. Although ultimately he let it happen, let's be real. So Yeah. So while he wasn't clean mm-hmm. he thought he was right so from from that point on this starts it, the gauntlet yeah so Jesus is is mocked and apparently there was a battalion of soldiers mm-hmm. they tore off his clothes put a scarlet robe on him and put a crown of thorns on his head. And the fact that it's a crown of thorns, a simple briar patch, is miserable to walk through, run through, step on, touch, grab. The fact that that's placed on your head, mm-hmm. that can't... I don't want to imagine what that felt like. No. There was something that happened before that, too. Um, where they uh, they whipped him. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so he was beat with a cat of nine tails. Yep. Which, to the point of unrecognition. <clears throat> I'm gonna, I'm just going to describe real quick what cat of nine tails is because it's gruesome. Basically, it's these... It's a whip. It's, it's well, it's more than a whip. Like, it's, it's a, a bunch of long straps of leather, like a whip, mm-hmm. but like a, how, uh, you know, a whip is ro- woven, woven together, but these are all loose straps. Yeah. Um, but in those straps, they would tie pieces of metal and glass. glass um, so that way 
Probably some nails. Probably some nails. So that way when it hits you, it definitely broke skin. But there was a possibility that it would get, I hate to say this, but it would get latched onto a piece of bone and pull it out. Right. So back then, that's probably the closest, and this is gruesome um, to think about, but something to, to really realize what Christ went through. is mm-hmm. He essentially got the brunt of a grenade. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It'd be a lot like shrapnel. Yeah. And it's just important to point out, like, all of these things, the the crown of thorns, um, the, the whipping with the nine tails. That's all extra. This is all extra. Like, and, and the ripping out the beard, those things do not happen to a normal criminal who'd be crucified. They would just go to the cross and get nailed in. Yep. So, where do we go from there? What happens next? So, he's paraded around after he's been beaten put the robe on no so he's, he has his robe on his skin after he's been beaten that's that's a that, good thing to talk about because if you've ever had a cut or a burn or anything and it's fresh you don't want anything touching it you put a band-aid on it but he has cloth sticking to his back that has just been mutilated exactly that's the only word there is for it and then he's forced to carry the cross. Yep. Think about it this way. A cross has to be big enough to support you, but to also get you off the ground. So I'm not entirely sure that it was as tall as we may think it to be. But in reality, it's, it's bigger and heavier than you are. So he's just gone through all of this abuse. He was fasting in the garden before, so he doesn't have that nutrients that people would have normally going through this possibly. And he's forced to carry this to his death. Right. I think some people think it was just the one beam. That doesn't matter, but I mean, either way, it's it's well, something heavy. I'll, yeah, I only say that because like to really drive it in, the weight of the entire cross would be about three hundred pounds. Yeah, and the one beam would be about a hundred pounds. Yeah. So like, just imagine being in that state, trying to carry that much weight. Well, like not, it's it's not a choice; you're being forced. I, I know exactly. Yeah. And the fact that he couldn't even do it. Yeah, he had to have someone help him. Mm-hmm. What happens next is arguably the most beautiful thing to happen in the history of humanity. The crucifixion. Why do I say that it's beautiful? Because of what it represents. It represents all of our dirt, all of our sin, Everything we've ever done, being being paid for by the only person who doesn't deserve any of it. The fact that Jesus lived a blameless life and willingly took on the payment that we all owe that's heavy. 
even as I sit here and I start to think about all the, the things that I've done to deserve to be in his place, it's overwhelming to the, to the point of, I don't even know to the point, it's, it's mind-blowing that a God could love me enough to send his son, not a God, the God, I definitely want to correct myself there, loves me enough, anyone who's willing to accept him and, and to turn to him and call upon him enough to send his son in our place in the most gruesome way ever so that we can be reunited with him. So looking at what what Christ did, where do we go from there? Oh, wait. Oh, no. I remember something. I got this. Uh-oh. So, on the cross, Jesus wasn't alone. There were two other men crucified at the same time. We don't know their names. We don't know much about them. But we know that one called on Jesus' name. And he's, he says, Truly you are the Son of God. And in Luke 23, 43, this is, this is what it says. And he said to him, and Jesus said to the thief next to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Why is he able to make that statement, Kip? Uh, it's definitely because of what happens next. The resurrection. Um, so after, after what happens on the cross, the Romans are pretty sure that Jesus is dead. Um, pretty sure? Well, they... They might may have speared him through the ribs, through through the heart, um, to make sure that he was dead. Um, and because of that, they gave his body over to his friends and family. Um, and his friends and family, you know, they they went out of their way to make sure that he got a proper burial, which, you know, they they made sure that he was he was wrapped in in linen cloths. Um, and that he was laid inside of a tomb. And then, oh man, so they rolled this big stone in front of it, right? And that's just how the tombs worked back then. Right, and that was to make sure that there were no grave robbers exactly. or anything like no that. Grave robbers. Um, but for Jesus, like, they went the extra mile. So they, they sealed the tomb shut. Um, Probably with mortar or something mortar, like that. wax, something. Um, I don't know the details on that actually. And they actually like they put seals in it. Um, so you know like it, it was yeah. official business. Yeah, well yeah, I mean like by, by seals I mean like like a, a stamp almost right. pressed into the It's kind the of like sealings. the king has a seal and yes. that's his signature. So exactly. this was done officially. It wasn't yes. just la da 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 da. It was done extra extra efficiently too or officially too because Official Probably and both. official, um, because they placed two centurion soldiers 
on guard. And when you say centurion soldiers, like that's not even just your regular soldier. Like those, those are like the Marines. Like, yeah. No, that's probably like the Navy SEAL all the time. Yeah. Like they're they're high ranking official soldiers that they put in front of the tomb. They also wanted to make sure that his disciples. disciples did not come in and steal the body to make it look like he did raise from the dead. Right. They didn't want any fake mm-hmm. fake news. I wasn't going there. I started to go there, but I stopped. I went there. I think it's important to note that that day in between the cross and the resurrection, um, you know, some people call it Black Saturday or Holy Saturday. Like there's a whole day of mourning. Like there's a whole space there where like the God of the universe is in this tomb. Mm -hmm. And, I don't want to over spiritualize it. I don't. I don't know anything. What happened um, during that moment? But I can imagine for the disciples in that moment, it was devastating, and they didn't know what to do. Um, and a lot of them, they just they went home, like they went back to doing what they were doing before. Yeah. But man, then the next day, Party. oh my gosh, this is my. This has become my favorite thing about the gospel. Um, It used to be the cross, um, but I've reached this place where the resurrection means a lot to me. Um, Well, the cross was not to minimize its effect. Right. But the cross was serving the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is they're both, they're two separate things absolutely like that's why i emphasize that space because they are two separate events and they represent two different things even though it's the same moment in time um and they're both equally important you know the cross yeah they're very different things like the cross represents jesus taking on our sin and feeling god's wrath and taking god's wrath from us and for us and but the resurrection it's more about what's being offered to us um, you know, we're being offered a new life because Jesus is back from the dead. Death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. The enemy has been conquered. Mm-hmm. Um, Amen. But for me, like, it's always meant that it's always represented the fact that God doesn't want to be separated from us. Like, he came out of that tomb, not just not just to give us, like, immortal life or eternity. Like, he, he came out of the tomb so that he could be reconnected with us. Because that's the whole point of this whole thing. The whole point of the gospel story is so that God can reconnect with humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, the resurrection is what represents that because God's coming back. And he, he gets up because he can't, he loves his people too much to be separated from them. So, like, John chapter 20, um, Mary comes. Uh, I think it's Mary and Mary Magdalene. But they come and they see the empty tomb. And they see the stones rolled away. And they see the the linen cloths, the grave clothes are set aside. And they're weeping. And they're they're weeping. Um, they think someone has stolen the body. Yeah, they're devastated. Yeah, they're, they're horrified. That was a terrible thing to do back then. Like there are a lot of a lot of laws in place in their culture where you're not allowed to touch a body. But then, like, to touch a body is like, oh, man, it's one of... It's detestable. 
it, it's awful. Like you shouldn't do that to someone. But like, well, even today, it shouldn't be done. Yeah, exactly. I'm not gonna get too into that, but <clears throat> so they went and found the disciples, um, specifically Peter and John, and they came and saw the empty tomb. Um, and the Bible even says they didn't understand that he was supposed to be raised from the dead. And then it says, so they went back to their homes. It's just so funny and so, so important. Kind of disappointed in them. I know, but that's how we are. That's how we are. Yep. I probably would have done the same thing. Exactly. Not probably. I would have. Um, but then Mary goes back in and there are two angels there who tell her he, he's alive, Mary. It's okay. I'm paraphrasing all this. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure they're like, why are you crying? Yeah. Like you, you were told. Yeah. It's like, you know, he's not here. Yeah. And she turns around and there's Jesus, but she doesn't know it's him because she thinks it's a gardener. And then he just kind of calls her out. It's like, woman, why are you weeping? Um, and then she says, if you've stolen his body, where'd you put it? Not like that, but you know. Right. She's, um, she's confronting him exactly. as if he were exactly. the one who stole it. Yeah. And then he, he just calls her by name, says Mary. And what's crazy is, um, and what's been what's been cool to me because I taught on this recently. Um, looking at the the first words that Jesus said after the resurrection, because like we tend to focus a lot on what what his his last words on the cross were, and those are amazing words. To tell us die is so awesome. It is finished. It is finished. But then to look at the words he says right out the gate, so like one he says, "Why are you weeping?" He, he's, it's compassionate. Um, when he, he says Mary by name. Um, but then the third thing he says, um, he tells her to go find the other disciples and then says, tell them I'm, I'm ascending soon to my God and your God, my father and your father. So like, boom. Let that sink in a little bit. He's saying, what, what's yeah. he saying? I mean, that's it. Like, that's what this is all about. It's, it's no longer, it's no longer God. Like, it's now your God. And it's now God is your father. Mm. Like, you now have this personal relationship, this personal connection with God if you choose it. Abba is not limited to Jesus anymore. Exactly. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a free, open po- possibility or chance for us to connect with God and call him father. What an invitation. Right. It's so cool. It's so cool. There's like one other part that we need to talk about. um, And it's basically what follows after all of this. And it's that Jesus appears to hundreds of of, of his disciples. Because you know hundreds of people follow Jesus. Right. Not not just the apostles, but Mm -hmm. his disciples in... The apostles' disciples. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, I mean, and Paul. P- probably some of those disciples' disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, it's just important to point out because I, <laughs> I like what what Paul says in First Corinthians uh, fifteen, fourteen, and seventeen. So I'm going to read both of these. Uh, so 14 says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And then in 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So I mean, especially that, that verse in 14, 
like our our preaching is futile, pointless. It's pointless. Like if, if he hadn't been resurrected, then why are we doing all this? We're wasting our time. Exactly. Like the resurrection is like it's key. Like it's the foundation of our faith. And I mean, if you think about it, if you think about all the disciples, um, and all the ways that they died, we're not going to get into this in too much detail, but. Histori- like historically we have records saying how all of them died like Peter was crucified upside down and they were martyrs they were martyrs um, and you wouldn't be a martyr for something that you did not wholeheartedly believe in you wouldn't be a martyr for a lie and that's just that's so powerful to think about like everything that we we believe um, everything that's been written down and passed down um, they died for because they saw it and they knew it was true just to kind of summarize that, and I know this is how we both feel. It's, we're not going to die for a lie, but we're going to live for the truth. Exactly. So just to quickly summarize the gospel. So, so you, didn't, you didn't want to quickly summarize it at the beginning? That's fair. We should have. There is that Corinthian verse that summarizes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um yeah, so to summarize the gospel, uh, man has fallen. We've all fallen. We're all full of sin, and we all deserve death. Um, God made a promise to save us from that. That was passed down through the generations um, until Jesus arrived as the embodiment of that promise. Um, he lived a perfect, sinless life and then sacrificed that life in the most painful way possible on the cross and then rose from the grave so that he could be connected with us and so that we could be given a new life. Thank you for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media Just search underscore MV podcast on any platform. Again, that's underscore M as in mountain, V as in valley podcast. This podcast was created and produced by Michael Horvath and Kip Wilkinson. All of our original music has been produced by the talented Robert Luther. This episode was mastered by J.A. Parkey. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story.